expanding the Nerdosphere, talking on everything you want to hear. From comics to cosplay, from the cinematic universe to fan films and everything in between. It's time to get down and nerdy. Here are your hosts, James Witham and Nick Pataglia. Oh, we are oh so close. We're right there, but it's episode 99 of that Down and Nerdy podcast. I gotta be honest, I think this is the first time in 99 episodes that I've ever had to beg Nick to show up for a recording session, because apparently he has other things he wants to do. Well, I mean, I'm gonna be in the Deadpool theaters watching Deadpool all fucking weekend long, so the fact that you got me here for about an hour, hour and a half, uh, be grateful. I think that they might try to throw you out at some point. No. You're just gonna you're just gonna be there the entire day, just sitting there in the same seat the entire day. Just well, I mean, I do have the armrest. You can just lift the armrest up and sleep in the chairs. Well, up there. you kind of only need the one. Well, and just to go local for a second, I mean, if you go to Lynn Haven, they have all the new padded chairs there. So, I mean, it is kind of like sleeping on a dream, kind of. Well, it really is. And for the benefit of our listeners who aren't in Virginia Beach, be jealous because it's one comfy seat. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, especially when, you know, I mean, here's the thing, though. Uh, for people who are, you know, wondering, like, when are you guys going to review? Of course, we're review it next week. But... I just say that when I arrived to the theater with a bucket of popcorn, a pair of scissors, and a stick of butter, let's just say that it looked kind of like a Gallagher comedy show after I was done with it. Yeah, picture Stan Marsh and Orville Redenbacher <laughs> crossover there. I think that that's, that's all you really except, need to know. Except uh, like 10 times the cancer. Yeah, that's, wow, that's... That could definitely happen. I'm James with him alongside. <laughs> the Merc with one arm, Nick Battaglia. <laughs> you know what I realized? I don't think we actually introduced ourselves last week. Uh, yeah. So for all of our new listeners that, that, that picked us up after the Rick Remender interview, uh, welcome. We appreciate you being here. I know it took you 99 <laughs> episodes, but that's okay. We're glad that you're here and we're getting ready for 100. Yeah, man. I mean, let's quickly talk about Rick Remender real quick. I mean, he was so great having him on. Of course, promoting his you know series low from Image Comics, and I gotta tell you, man, it's one of the most popular interviews we've ever done. Yeah, and I mean, it's not that I mean we knew about low. Um, what we didn't really realize is how popular the series is and how much people loved it. I mean, we loved it. Yeah, but, like we were we were digging into it and you know preparing for the interview like we always do. Uh, we were we were really shocked at how many other people loved it too, and we, we were not surprised because it's a great series. But it's like wow. A lot of people are feeling the same way that we feel, and it showed by the by everybody who seemed to love the interview. Oh yeah, and I mean, you know, Rick Remender, of course, is a big name, so it's not a surprise there. But like I said, well, he oh, doesn't do many interviews either. That's, that's, the, thing. that's the thing, and that's the thing. He doesn't do many interviews. So again, thanks to Rick, thanks to Image, you know, for you know getting with us and, and helping us set this up, and it's been a huge success. And again, I just want to say a quick shout out to Image Comics for sharing our our interviews. Yeah, and because and just seeing the response, people are like. Oh my God, Log! And that's what we were looking at. We're like, wow. Yeah. It, it is a good series. But we didn't know it had the pull and the big fan support that it had. Not only like that, but again, when him not doing many interviews, you don't get a whole lot of insight into the series yeah. other than the few interviews that he does. So I think for people getting a chance to hear it straight from Rick himself, that was a little bit of extra added bonus. So like you said, thank you to Image for for sharing that on over and I mean I'm just I'm just pumped man because we're we're headed towards episode 100 it's going to be a free for all and that's one of the other reasons we're kind of saving our Deadpool review we want to review Deadpool on episode 100 cuz I can't think of a better place to review Deadpool than episode 100 after so much uh, so many times we've talked about Deadpool on the show well, we've done videos we've written yeah. reviews yeah everything I, I want to go back to like the video I did like two years ago where I was in my hallway and I'm like the Deadpool movie will not be made here's why it needs to be rated R and this and that and, <laughs> and it was it all was maybe I need to make more of those videos so. maybe hey <laughs> you know what we might be relaunching our YouTube page after yeah. episode 100 that's Maybe that's a little bit of a tease. Who knows? Maybe it's but. a little bit of a tease. Yeah, exactly. But speaking of things that are a little bit of teases as well, come up next is what we're reading. We have two new comics. Where are they? Well, you're going to have to stay tuned and listen. More Down Nerdy come up next. This is Rick Remender, comic book nerd of note, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy podcast. Well, it's that time, nerds, we pull out our long boxes, and James and I discuss two new comics this week, of course, just like every week. 
This segment is brought to you by the fine folks over at Fantasy Escape Comics and Cards on Aragona Boulevard in Virginia Beach. Go see Bob and all the great things he has for the nerds you love, especially because it's Valentine's Day weekend. So, hey, the missus or the mister might want a new, uh, new Funko Pop figure or a new comic. Go see Bob and get it for him. So I'm going to, to go first, James, and I love Predator. Oh, yeah. I, He's one of, I think, the biggest names and just biggest characters in all of sci-fi. And, and pretty much one, of, I think, top ten in nerddom. Um, so when I saw that Dark Horse Comics was doing a Predator Life and Death series, of course, written by Dan Abnett and the art's done by Brian Thies. I'm like, okay, this is pretty interesting. Now, the book doesn't come out until March 2nd. Here's the thing. The book while it grabs you with the cover art is boring. And, okay. and, and here's why if you've seen the first predator movie, it pretty much, it doesn't follow that storyline. It's pretty much predicated on, you have the space Marines pretty much. And they're going to go to this planet Cause they see it, this company who's the, like pretty much the Cogswell cogs to the Whalen's spacely sprockets. All right is pretty much prospectoring on this this planet illegally. So like, okay, we're going to go, we're going to go, you know, arrest people if they're there. Da da da. They get to the planet and the art takes a dip. It these is art. I don't know if he doesn't what it is, but it's like it just looked like he took yellowish brown, put some lines in it, and that's the world. It had no depth. It felt very flat. And so right then, I'm like, okay, my eyes are kind of taken away from this because the this is a different planet. You're supposed to make it look nice and, and look maybe jungle, very jungle-like. It looks like proofs they were staying in the wheat field the entire comic. So is it is it the fault of the like the inks and the pencils, or is it the colorist, or is it just kind of the mishmash of everything? It's just there's no detail. Like when they're on the ship and everything, they're flying over the planet, there's detail. But when they get on the planet... It's very burned, scorched earth looking. So it's not. So it's not just like flat, cut like a couple of colors. It's yeah, everything. it's okay. just everything. It's just very flat, really. You know, and it's in terms of the environment. Um, but the writing is just. It's it's you're following these space marines, and you're like, I don't care because the this is a predator comic. I wish what they did with this was took it from the predator's point of view. Now I understand they're speaking a different language. You can't understand. But there are good ways, especially with a Predator comic, where you can pretty much do a comic without some sort of text or dialogue. Well, it's been done before. I mean, it's not like we've had other languages from other planets or even other cultures right. that aren't just translated into English because, hey, it's an English comic, so we need to know what they're saying. So it could have been done, I think. Right. So pretty much they go on this planet. They try to you know, stop this prospecting from happening. And it's just a lot of dialogue that you just don't care about. And, you know, there's, you know, soldiers complaining, there's mosquitoes everywhere, why are there bugs, da, da, da. And it's like, I don't care. And it's, and, and it's getting to the point where, like, you know, I'm, I'm 19 pages in, 20 pages in, and we finally see a predator pretty much shoot a soldier. And I'm like, wow, there's just 20 pages of just soldiers talking, and it's boring as hell. And then even when the predators came on, onto the panels, dude, I'm like, this is like everything we've seen from every Predator movie and every Predator vs. Alien movie, pretty much. Yeah, and so, by then, it's kind of seemed like you were kind of out of it anyway, which yeah, is also not a good sign. Because I'm like, when I was reading this, I'm like, okay, it just it, it just followed the same beats as the all the movies pretty much do. And I'm like, what? We, and even when the Predators come onto the panel, I'm like, oh, they're here. You know, <laughs> you're not supposed to have that. When the predators yeah. show up, you're supposed to be like, oh, fucking right. And when they show up, I'm Yay. like, yay. <laughs> They're like party clowns that show up to a party too late, you know? And and it's just like, I was just reading this. I'm like, ah. Now, the art, I'll say this. When the predators do show up, the art, in terms of just the soldiers and the way the predators look, looks pretty good. Uh, it's just like I said, the, the environment doesn't look great. But the writing is just boring. It's just boring as hell. And, I mean... Well, I, when you've got 20 pages of soldiers talking, I mean... Yeah. Unless you're into that kind of thing, I could see you getting a little bored. Yeah, and it's a four-part series, 
but it's not off to a good start at all. It's very heavy dialogue, and I just see where this is going. I feel like this is going to follow the first Predator movie because you have kind of this sort of main soldier, and there's all these Predators around, and I'm like, I'm not interested. I really am not, and I, you know, normally I'd say, oh, give it three issues, but I'm like, it's a four-issue series, yeah. and, and, I, and, those, and the rules change for me. When you have a four-issue series, you have to grab me by the first issue. Absolutely. That's, that's fair. To. That's fair. You have to. This is a drop for me, and it's sad because I'm like, it had so much potential. Then as soon as the first panel where I'm seeing like all these soldiers in their space, I'm like, oh, this is not going to be good. This is going to be very dialogue heavy and just, you know, again, I, I would find it more interesting if they decided to go from the Predator's point of view yeah. instead of the soldiers because the soldier yeah. side has been done so many times, man. Yeah, so kind of think outside the box a little bit and do a little bit of something different. I totally get that. That's a that's a shame. It's been a while since you've had a drop, like a legit drop, not a, oh, we'll see where it goes. This is a drop, so that, that hadn't happened in a while. Yeah, yeah, especially for a book. You know, like I said, it doesn't come out until next month, so, you know, I mean, I, I you know, thanks, thank you, Dark Horse, for the uh, advanced copy, but, you know, sadly... You gotta like, be honest, it's, man. It's honest. And, and like I said, if it was just from the opposite point of view, if it didn't follow the whole soldier's thing, which has been done in multiple movies and, and, and books and stuff like that, that would have been one thing. But, I mean, it does. And it's just not... Not great at all. So hopefully you had some better luck with your comic. Well, definitely something that hasn't been done. I can tell you that much. And it's Second Sight, number one, from Aftershock Comics, another debut from them, uh, created and written by David Hine. And apparently this was a passion project from him. I was talking to uh, Lisa Wu, who's the social media coordinator for Aftershock Comics, said he's been working on this for like 20 years. Wow. So his heart and soul is in this project. So I was really excited to dive into it. He And we've got uh, Alberto Ponticelli to do the art, uh, John Cazis to do the to do the colors and of course comic crafts jimmy bentecourt to do the letters now basically the story follows a guy named ray pilgrim who is a i don't know you could call him a psychic he actually calls it like distance viewing i think he calls it he said <laughs> he said one of the lines that i love in this book he says i can't see the future nobody can see the future that's stupid kind of thing so, <laughs> so i like that but the way it starts out this is one of the creepiest starts to a comic ever. It was very American horror story. And I don't want to blow the reveal if you read this comic. But it's like the worst dentist ever dressed in bondage gear. Oh, fantastic. That is the best way I can so, describe so it. So pretty much instead of braces, it's ball gags. It's, it's, it's man, it, this will, this will uh, screw up your mind pretty good. <laughs> I'm just saying. And, and apparently this is in A Nightmare, we think. Of Ray's, and you know, he's well, kind of. Well, I'd hope. <laughs> well, well, we'll get to that here in a second. Uh, basically, now he owns a bookstore. He's trying to get out. He's been out of the whole life for a while. He did the whole investigator thing and it worked out very badly. We don't really find out. We, we kind of find out what went on, but we're not absolutely sure what went on. That's the question. Is his bookstore named Bondage and Noble? No, it's not. Oh. It's not. <laughs> That would be appropriate, though. <laughs> it does look very clean, though, so don't worry about that. Okay. Very clean. Move on. Um, uh, we do have a, one little bit of a trope in here that we kind of get to in a lot of comics. He's got a daughter. The wife's got a restraining order. Doesn't want her to see the daughter. Daughter sees dad anyway. Kind of following dad's footsteps, yada, yada, yada. So you kind of get through that. And the daughter's doing an investigation of a of a club of... Again, another a little bit of a trope there, a club of its politicians, its high-ranking businessmen that are doing something they really, really shouldn't be doing. And I won't, again, blow the reveal because it's pretty messed up what they're being accused of. And the daughter has a blog, and the mother's worried, doesn't want her to get in trouble, and the daughter never really found out how her father, Ray, got his abilities in the first place. So then, it's flashback time, and we find out when Ray has his first vision, and basically... He sees the crime as it's happening. So it's almost like a precog thing from Minority Report. Yeah, I am about to say that. But it's a little bit cooler than that because there's no corny little, you know, I'm shivering and I'm outside of myself and I'm in a bathtub kind of thing. It just sort of comes to him. And he thinks he's tripping on mushrooms. But in reality, <laughs> that's not what's really happening. He's actually, actually saw the crime take place. So it was really interesting the way it goes. And then that piques the daughter's interest of what really happened to her dad because... We don't really know. She doesn't really tell him. So she's so, going online to research it. 
So it sounds like a little bit of inspiration has been also kind of not lifted, but taken a little bit from Vibe from The Flash. Uh, in a way, it is kind of like Vibe, but again, he kind of can't see forward. Yeah. He can only see what's happening in the here and now. And of course, this has messed his mind up a great deal. So he, you know, he's heavy drinking and stuff like that, trying to forget about everything that's happened to him. But here's the deal. The end of this issue yeah. was very extremely shocking. And it was a callback to the flashback. And I don't mean to be cryptic, but if I tell you what it is, it's going to ruin a huge reveal and le- and it leaves a huge, huge question at the end of this issue. Yes, don't spoil it. Don't say anything. Yeah, I am not going to spoil it at all because I'll be honest, dude. I was already interested in this as I was reading it. I like the world that he's in. I like the fact that we're following him a little bit later on. There's a little bit of mystery still as to what happened. Even though you see a newspaper headline, you kind of kind of see okay that's where everything went south but the story hasn't been told yet but then you see the end of this story and you go wait a second what just happened did i see what i think i saw is this who i think it is because if it is this is going to change the game so dude this is a pull for me i don't know how david hine came up with this world and this story but you take a story like this which basically let's face it the psychic thing has been told a lot of times. Like you said, the Predator movies, they've been done a lot. You've seen a lot of the same things. This is a different angle on the psychic thing. So bravo to David Hine. If this is your passion project and you waited 20 years for this, man, it was worth it because you've got yourself a really interesting story on your hands. It's always good to see somebody like this who has such a passion project. Of course, for me, you know, going quickly to a movie thing real quick, you know, Deadpool has been, they've been trying to get together for 11 years and it finally has come out. A lot of people are loving it. With this, you said the guy's been waiting so many years to get this done and, and to make it published. And it does. I'm so glad that a passion project like this is getting such good applause and such good praise. I mean, and all the things that you could say kind of draws inspiration from a little bit, maybe other than vibe. This guy was working on this 20 years ago. So yeah. he already had these ideas before any of this stuff even came out. So it was already there, but this was his chance. And, you know, with a new publisher like Aftershock willing to take a chance on a story like this, bravo for them because I think that they've got another winner on their hands. I think there. that when you look at something like Aftershock, I want to say this to, about the, the publisher real quick. They are... I think from what it looks like, I think they're following the Image Comics route where they're taking a lot of risks early on. And, and no doubt. Stuff that they publish, and that's great. You know, and they're giving it time. They're giving it, you know, grand, you know, their wave of comics have just been released like a month or so ago. So they're still very new to the game. But I love seeing publishers like Aftershock take risks. And, say, and not everything's been great. Oh, yeah. And I, I like that, too. It's like, okay, not everything's going to be a win. And, and they haven't been huge misses, but there's been a couple a couple of stories, and I'm not going to point out which ones, that have been misses for me. I'm like, ah, I didn't really dig this. I didn't. I haven't hated anything I've read from them. Right. But there but was a couple I was like, ah, eh, this isn't really that interesting. You have to admire them for taking that risk. Oh, I absolutely do, and I think that that's a failing of, of some other publishers in the business. Exactly. That's going to do it for what we're reading this week. But come next, we're going to head to Gotham City. There's some bad blood on the rise. We're going to discuss Batman Bad Blood next here on Down and Nerdy. Hi, this is Martin Garrow, creator and executive producer of Blindspot, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, you knew at some point we were going to have some bad blood. No, I'm not talking about Taylor Swift's new mobile game. We're going to be talking about the Warner Brothers DC Animation's Batman Bad Blood that just came out last week. And Nick, it's what I love about this right off the bat, before we even jump into it, is that They've taken these Batman animated movies and they've made a continuity there, and I think that that was really a smart move on their part. Well, yeah, and I mean it's it's really smart because you know they had some Batman, Batman vs. Robin, <clears throat> and what I love about this is that they have certain callbacks. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, later on the, in the in the movie, you know, Damien has that whole justice not vengeance kind of thinking mentality towards the end. And it really is. It's really, you know, we see him in the monastery, you know, with the monks and everything else. Like yep. He did it at the end of the last movie. I like that there's callbacks. I like that a lot. And it's really nice. It's honestly nice seeing that DC's like, okay, we have our TV universe going on right now. We have, that's pretty much tied in, you know, especially now that Flash and Supergirl are going to be crossing over. We have our movie universe now. Now we have our animated universe in terms of the movies, and they're all connected. So they're all in this whole, you know, connectivity kind of thing. And, it, you know, it was really, it's really nice to see. 
Absolutely, and I got to give a shout out to the to the makers of these movies too, because and to Stuart Allen who does the voice of uh, Damien Robin. I got to tell you, the evolution of Damien over these movies might be the most overlooked and brilliant part about these Batman movies. The way they have brought Damien along over the course of these movies. I think is absolutely fantastic and, and very underrated because, you know, we we always read a couple of other reviews of, of these things, and I really don't see anybody ever mention that, so i got to give them a lot of credit for that, and Stuart Allen is very good as Damien. Well, yeah, Damien was great because, again, we see him go from being, you know, in love with his grandfather's kind of worldview and, and saying, like, I'm going to be the next de- head of the demon kind of thing. And then what happens is he finds out that Bruce Wayne's his dad, you know, Batman, and really, I think we see that nice father-son dynamic change mm-hmm. after what was it? After after the last movie, which was uh, uh, Batman versus Robin. Batman versus Robin yeah. with the core of owls, and he says, "You know, you've attacked my son. I'll get, you know get the hell out of my house." Since then, you know, even when it's when Dame, even it's when you can take an animated movie, and when you have a character who says father, and he's trying to get him up after being such a pain in the ass, mm-hmm. and you have him have that moment, dude, it touched me. I like, was going to say the same exact thing. That was a huge moment right there, and, and the way that it brought out the emotion, like you said, was incredible. So to be able to bring that out, and that's not only a credit to the writing, but a credit to Stuart Allen, who, again, has done a great job as Damien. And you're right, they have evolved not just his character, but that bond in a very unique way, and Ken very much changed the dynamic between he and his mother Talia, who of course was voiced by Miranda Bacarin, who's slowly trying to become queen of the nerd world somehow here. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, I mean, with her it was great because you know, we got a different look of a different Talia. This was more of a brutal Talia. This is like rage, but the opposite times a hundred. Mm-hmm. But before we dive more into, I want to give people who haven't seen the movie an idea of what it's about. And a heads so, up that this will be spoiler filled, by the way, so keep that in mind. Yeah. So Bruce Wayne is missing, and Alfred pretty much covers for him, while Nightwing, Dick Grayson, assumes he dons the Batman suit in this, and of course Robin is back as well, and there's a couple of new, new players in this. Batwoman makes an appearance, and also Batwing as well. And I want to say this. This movie really showed, and I think this entire time they are building up to this, Dick Grayson, Nightwing is now capable of having his own animated movie. No doubt. Yeah, I totally agree. And and we were talking about this off the air, about how they finally gave him a little bit more personality in this movie. And I think this was, it was almost like them shining a spotlight on him in a way as well. I mean, you could even say this is kind of a Nightwing movie in a way. It was almost like them dipping their toes in the water saying, okay, let's see if Nightwing can carry his own movie. So maybe we get that at some point. I mean, I know that the slate is jam-packed. You've got Justice League versus Teen Titans. Of course, the killing joke looks like that's going to be happening. But somewhere in the mix, are we going to see a Nightwing movie? Because I'd be down for that, man. I'm ready. Let's do it. Well, again, remember the next the next movie in the DC universe is going to be Justice League versus Teen Titans. Now it's probably more Damien than Dick Grayson at this point in time. But it'd be nice to see him go on have his own little spinoff movie, which would be great. Now here's a character, and I think we might disagree on this character, which was is Batwoman. I felt that they gave her nothing to do. I felt that she was one of those characters where she didn't need to be in the movie. Like if she, if you took her out of the movie, I don't think there's a lot of stuff you'd miss. I think and the thing is, when I'm watching, when I was watching this, there's a lot of things that she was saying in her dialogue where I'm like, okay, are you just here to give those things like those little bits of information that we can kind of figure out on his own? For example, there's a part where she's like, Luke, I gave him. He's looking over the schematics or the map for the guest list or whatever like that for whatever. And I'm like, okay, we can guess that because he's a techie guy. And, you know, we've, and he's now in that fray now with Nightwing and everything else. So we can kind of guess that he's off doing that or Alfred would be doing that or whomever. You know, I just felt that they, they didn't use her properly. And I think it's not the fault of the writers. Really. I think it's more because Batwoman, there hasn't really been much with her, like with her comics. Her comics haven't really been selling well at all. And, you know, it's just one of those things where Batwoman, I think, is one of the more tougher people in the Bat family to to sell. I don't completely agree. I kind of agree. First of all, let me preface this by saying my love for Yvonne Swarovski knows no bounds. Yes. She's awesome. I'm glad that she's part 
of the DC universe in any way, shape, or form right now because I think she's amazing. And I don't think that, again, like you said, I don't think it was anything that she did wrong either. I actually thought she was very good. But I don't agree that they really gave her nothing to do. I, I To me, it feel, felt more like she was forced in. I felt like she was forced in. It was like, okay... Like you said, we've got Batwing, who's a techie, and you've got everybody else that's already part of the team, and she does the whole, I'm not really part of your team just because I wear this thing. And then it's like, okay, we've got to give her, have her do something, so give her the hard drive. Let her analyze that. Let, let her go off and do that, and it's fine. Now, she had plenty of good action scenes. There was nothing wrong with her when she was there, with her dialogue or anything, I didn't think. But you're right, if you take her out, you could replace her pretty easily, and that's no knock on her or on the on the writers or on the producers or whoever it's just you're absolutely right about one thing it's that character and i know that she has a cult following in dc comics and i know that she's you know diverse in a certain way and that she's a, you know she's a lesbian character so that you know brings up a little bit of diversity if people want to look at it that way but she lifts right out yeah and i think it's one of those things where and you we were talking about this last night actually where you said how are they going to put her in the movie before they introduce Batgirl? Now, granted, towards the end, and this is a spoiler, we see Batgirl. We see the new suit and everything, and she yep. kind of walks out of the shadows. So it's like, okay, the Bat family is now going to be all together uh, kind of thing. But again, it's kind of like it's it's a hard sell to bring her in like at that point. Because like, like I said, I felt that there were certain dynamics with her character where I'm like, and you say, well, she wasn't really a hindrance. I felt in certain fight scenes that she really was a major hindrance to, to the fight scene. I well, really, I, well, I, I, I liked, I liked like the fight between her and I think it was Onyx was her name. Yeah. The uh, villain would tell you the well, other, like, the other woman, that was a good fight scene. But, the beginning one was okay, but I guess the, you had to set the tone. But that's the thing. The beginning fight where when Bruce Wayne goes missing and Batman goes missing, I'm like, God damn it. If it wasn't for her, then Bruce wouldn't have been fucking captured and everything else like that. But she got in the fucking way, and he, and he she kept him from being able to escape. Like, well, I, that first fight scene, I'm like, God damn it, she just got in the way of this. But maybe that's the point. Maybe that was the role she was supposed to play. So maybe that frustration is what they were going for. That's that's what I was wondering was I was, when I was watching it, because I was frustrated too, and I'm like, well, maybe that's why she's there. And maybe that's not a good reason to be right. there. But I, maybe that's part of the reason. Because, you know, some characters are just supposed to piss you off. Right. And maybe that was her role. But, maybe that, that frustration was supposed to be there. Right. And now, going on to another character that was newly introduced is Batwing. And uh, they did him right. Like, like I'll say, as much as, as we gave shit for what they did with, with Batwoman and kind of how tough it was for her, Batwing, they nailed him perfectly. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Uh, Gaius Charles did a fantastic job. Yeah. Not just as not just as Batwing, but as Luke Fox. Oh, the yeah. dynamic between him and his dad, I thought was really cool. And, and they but there, there's not as much tension there as like there is in the Stone family yeah. with uh, with with Cyborg, but they put the you know as much tension as she kinda needed it, to. Well it was one of those things where like, the tension wasn't like I hate you, Dad, you're an abusive father. It was more Lucius wanted him to work for Wayne Enterprises. Right. And he wanted he's like you're a smart tech guy. I could get you a job here. We can work together and yeah, you know, we right. can build on the Fox legacy pretty much. And he says, no dad, I want to be my own guy. That's why I joined the military, you know? And he's like, I, you told me to, to pretty much walk with the beat of my own drum and be my mm -hmm. own man. And that's what I want to do. He's like, I'm not going to be working with you kind of thing. And then of course, Lucius gets stabbed and you know, and uh, that causes, you know, Luke yeah, bring, brings him in, bring him in. And I got to tell you, man, that scene where he puts on that suit with the machine, it's fucking badass. Yeah, and they tweaked it. If you notice, they tweaked the suit a little bit in yeah. the movie, and I, I liked it. I mean, yeah. I know a lot of people, you know, you see certain suits, and you're like, no, it has to look like this. I liked it. It wasn't a huge change. It changed it just enough to make it a little bit different for the movie. I thought it was cool. I like it. So, and pr bringing him into this into this world now opens up a lot of doors for stories oh, yeah. that they could do. And you could even make him part of another story. Like, you could put him in a Nightwing movie if you wanted to. If Nightwing wanted to have his own movie, maybe he's a guy that comes over from Gotham to uh, Bloodhaven to kind of help Nightwing out a little bit. You never know. So it just opens a lot of doors. By the way, shout out to our girl Vanessa Marshall, who was also in there as Renee Montoya. She yes. wasn't in the movie much, but congrats. Love <laughs> seeing you in there. Yes, congrats to our friend Vanessa Marshall. But 
So, you know, let's build on the kind of story. We've talked about the characters, talked about how Talia's, you know, different now. The story revolves, as we said before, Batman, Bruce Wayne's been kidnapped. We later find out that it's the League of Assassins. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to make the perfect soldier, like the like the person who, you know, is is 100%. Kind of like take the per- like limitless mindset. We have all your brain pretty much knowing everything and just the perfect strength and size and everything else. And they capture him because they want to kind of build on it. They want to make Bruce, you know, be with Talia, first of all, because there's always been that love connection. But also she wants him to kind of be maybe Raish. She's been, you know, saying, I want you to be kind of like my second in command or, or whatever, you know, maybe the second head of the demon or whatever. Yeah, and I mean, we've also got the whole dynamic of, like you said, it was Raish's dream to have the perfect soldier. And Damien was supposed to be... Yep. That perfect soldier. So it ends up being this character called the Heretic, which, you know, you, uh, right off the bat, you're like, oh, who's the Heretic? And then you come to find out, again, spoiler alert, it's Damien, but older. Yeah. And then, you know, you got to meet your future self, where they actually capture Damien on point. He's like, you're not me. You can't be. And again, I think that's another turning point for Damien, because Damien sees that and he's like, that's not going to be me. Yeah, and, you know? and and there's a certain line that Prince Damien has where he's talking to Talia, and he's saying like, "My grandfather had he wanted you know to change the world. He wanted to make it a better place. You just want to rule it, and that's what she wants to do. Like with these, you know. And I gotta say right now, the gang of people that she has surrounding her, like Mad Hatter, uh, Toy Man, I believe is one of them as well. You know, Tusk. That's uh. You know, fireflies. That's pretty, uh, pretty, uh, pretty. They did a pretty damn good job, especially with Mad Hatter. You know what's funny is they make a joke about it during the movie that these are C-listers. Yeah, they actually make a joke about it. They're admitting it, but they made it work, especially the Mad Hatter, which I always thought the Mad Hatter was kind of underrated. Yeah, I think that they did a really good job showing you that the Mad Hatter can be a major force. If he wants to be, and if it's done properly. Of course, you had the calculator in there as well, and they yep. were all kind of that's together. That's, that's who it was. It was a calculator. I thought it was Toy Man. Yeah, no, no, you were, well, I mean, you were, you were close. Yeah. I mean, there's a, well, you know, after watching Well, because I heard, well, the thing was, I didn't know it was, it was calculator because he's like, oh, let me look at my toys. He's, he's talking about toys a couple of times. I'm like, oh, it must be Toy Man. But, yeah, it was, it was, it would have been a little easy to get confused there, especially since, you know, Toy Man was just on Supergirl. So, I mean, that, you know, that kind of brings that <laughs> in there. So, yeah. But, I mean, no, it, it is pretty pretty awesome. And, you know, uh, poor Black Mask, dude. The past movies he's been in, he's gotten the shit beaten out of him. Yeah, it's, it's not been a good time for Black Mask, that's for sure. No. But, I mean, but then again, that you know, that reintroduced Damien and, and, a, and a very different Damien at that. And it, we only see Black Mask for a few seconds, too. That's the thing. Every yeah. time he's in one of these movies, it's like... Poor Black Mask. Like, I know he's a mob boss and everything else, but he's got the mask. And what happens? He goes to shoot somebody... And Damien throws a sign in his gun, and it blows up his gun, and it pretty much melds the mask to his face now. Don't you feel like this is kind of building for some epic revenge from Black Mask yeah. at some point down the road? Yeah. Like, he's like, you know what, screw this, I've been mis- mistreated this whole time, I'm gonna mess you up now. This <laughs> is going down. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, but overall, like, the movie was okay, well, I don't think it was the greatest, um, you know, I still think that, like... I think I still think that Batman vs. Robin, I think, is one of the best ones. I think it is the best one out of the ones they've released so far. Yeah, that one was really good. But, uh, again, I remember they had a callback with Talon. That was, you know, and that's the thing. Yeah. Is like, honestly, I like seeing him in the future a Dick Grayson, Damon Wayne, you know, Nightwing and Robin movie. Because well, remember, the in the comics, them, yeah. In the, the comics, with, they had some Nightwing and Damien yeah, stuff going on in there, too. But so. the scene with them in the car is fucking hilarious. Oh, it really is. You know, it really like, is. You know, like, and Damien's talking about, like, oh, you think we can trust her? He's like, you trusted Talon. <laughs> and and then he's like, and then when... Shut up! There's a scene with Batwoman, I think it was, and she, when she takes off, and Damien's like, hey, you get, really got away with the ladies, don't you there, Grayson? Right. <laughs> Something like that. So, yeah, I, I like their dynamic a lot, and it's very big brother, little brother. And, and I just love that about their relationship, because that's what it should be, and I think that they... They nailed that relationship for sure. So I just think I can't wait to see where they're going to evolve this storyline with the Batman movies and see where they're going to go next. So I think it's at that point, Nick, now we have to give our ratings. I'm going to let you go first. So scale of 1 to 10, what would you think of Batman Bad Blood? 
Um, the story, I think, was good. I kind of a little bit. I mean, it wasn't bad. It was, I'll say it was good. Teeter around a little bit of okay. Um, I did like the callbacks to the previous movies. I like the fact that now we're really seeing that we're really seeing that this is a shared universe. It's like it's a one universe, pretty much as far as the WB animation goes. Um, Batwoman was pretty much the only flaw of the movie, but it's not her fault because again. She's not really the most popular character. A lot of her comics aren't the most popular thing, so it's hard to write for a character like that. I'm glad that Batgirl looks like she's going to be joining the Bat family in the next movie that they're going to be doing for Batman. Um, I like the fact they got the new it's the new suit and everything. Nightwing, I love what they did with Nightwing. I'm going to give this seven and a half Batarangs out of ten. All right, I agree with Batwoman. I wish that they would have gone and done a little bit more. Uh, with her like to do in the comics. I think they've kind of worked her in better to stories like Batman and Robin Eternal and stuff like that. And even Batman Eternal, I think she was in that for a little bit. I think that she made more sense in there, and they made her character a little bit more important in those stories. I kind of wish they would have done that here. I don't know that it's really anybody's fault, like you said, but, I mean, to me, that's kind of the only flaw if you want to find one in this in this movie. So I'm going to give this eight Sons of Batman out of ten. So I'm surprised you didn't go eight ninjas out of ten. Yeah. That was yeah. a shining moment for me. Yeah, I hate you. I appreciated that. But that's going to do it for this week in Geek Tammy Cope. Next, it's nerd news. We have a few nerd stories we've got to talk about because they've been trending around the internet this week. Stay tuned. More Down Nerdy come up next. Hey, this is comic book writer on Mars. You are listening to the Down and Dirty Podcast. Well, it's that time, nerds. We pretty much keep an extended stay in Gotham, at least for this first story, because it's time for what, James? Nerd News! And we're having an extended stay in Gotham because our first story deals with DC. Now, in the entire month of January, DC Comics, only two of their comics ranked in the top 25. Not only that, Nick, but one of them was the Batman... TMNT crossover, which is right. a crossover with IDW, so that kind of adds a little bit to that. I mean, even Batman, which, you know, it sold about 101,000 copies, which seems like a lot, but it's still, according to ICV2, it's 5,000 copies off of what you would normally see. So, I mean, we don't have the full list in front of us here of who was in the top 25 and who wasn't for January. Right. But at the same time, this is a bad sign. I mean, especially when you had a couple of big titles launch in January that people were excited about. Poison Ivy, The Cycle of Life, which was a good book. But that only debuted at number 62. And then Swamp Thing debuted at number 68. And no sign of the new Green Lantern comic that debuted right around the same time. Exactly. And, you know, we mentioned earlier with the whole 5,000. That was the new 52 era. Like, that's 5,000 off new 52 Batman, which is back in 2011. So... And then you even look at like the graphic novel stuff they do. That's bleak as well. Only one DC title placed in the top 20 graphic novels in January. And only five in the top 30. So what do you think is going on here? Like, Do you think that they're looking at these numbers? And then remember, the whole Rebirth thing came out recently. Do you think they're looking at those numbers and they're like, okay, we have to rebirth something. We have to redo something. Here's the deal. I want to put this into perspective before I answer that. Okay. Think about this for a second. And this is with all due respect to Valiant, by the way. In January, The Flash Volume 8 yep. sold less copies than Rye Volume 1. Yeah. I want you to think about that for a second. A member of the Justice League's ongoing series was outsold by a very much lesser-known character, by a very much smaller publisher. To me, there's alarm bells there. Because, I mean, it's good to do well in the graphic novel sales, and DC usually does. But to me, that's like DVRing a show instead of actually watching the show live. And the fact that, again, like we've said about taking risks, DC took some risks, like the whole story with the whole Batman story with Snyder and Capullo, where they decided to go off and let... You know, Commissioner Gordon be Batman, and Bruce Wayne's got the whole amnesia thing going on. He doesn't remember his life previously. Well, that's kind of changed coming up in the later issues, as, you, as you've probably read. But, I mean, you look at a lot of the core titles, and I'll be honest, dude, if I'm just looking at just my pull, right, which has a lot of DC stuff in it, but the only mainline character 
that I actually have in my poll for their run is Batman. Yeah. That's it. I don't have a Superman title. I've tried. I don't have a Superman I, title. I've tried, too. I've tried with Superman as well. And I find myself now, because my mom sent me a lot of older Superman stuff from like the 90s and stuff in the 80s, that I'm reading that more. But, yeah, Superman, not the best. Green Lantern, still, I don't know how it's impossible. We can get a great Sinestro run, but we just can't get a good Green Lantern run. Uh, you know, looking at even, like, Batman, I'm not a fan of the Master Race. I thought it would start off strong, and then they're like, oh, we're going to go with this whole... Kandorian's route with Ray Palmer. I'm like, you're going away from the arc of Carrie Kelly. Why are you doing that? Like, not, not only that, but I mean, Batman and Robin Eternal, that has been strong. Yeah. But again, look at who we're talking about. Batman. That's it. So, I mean, I know you still read Wonder Woman and you've, you've yeah. been, you've been very happy great. with the, you've been very happy with the Finch run, but think about it. No Green Lantern. No yeah. Flash. No Aquaman. No Aquaman. I mean, Cyborg. I've, I've been very kind of hot and cold on Aquaman, and I know Cullen Bunn's taking a lot of heat for that. And we we dove into that story several several months ago. But it, something's got to be done. I mean, even the main Justice League run has kind of fallen off for me a little bit. Like, it's okay, but the it's almost like the kind of stuff that they're doing, it's like, ah, I don't know why you got to do that. Do you think that... Looking at what we're talking about, as far as storylines, it sounds like the storylines for DC are getting stale. Do you think that they do have to, like, legit, not just reboot everything, but maybe reintroduce new characters as certain things? Like, maybe a new Green Lantern that's not Hal Jordan or Rainer or whomever. Like, you know, do you think they need but to go that route? I think that's kind of part of the problem, is that they've tried that and it hasn't worked. Right. I mean, look at, I love the fact that what they did do was they launched a bunch of titles for characters that you wouldn't think would ever get their own title, like Black Canary, which we both enjoy. Right. Uh, the Dr. Fate run, which again, if you love the character Dr. Fate, you're going to read it, but if you don't, you're not. Um, other characters, the, the new Hellblazer comic uh, that uh, James Tyner IV is helping write. I mean, there's a lot of new comics that they launched, but it's almost like they launched them in the sense of having a cult following, and I don't know if that's really what you want to do, not for an ongoing series. Like, with Poison Ivy, I like that they're making that a limited run. So pretty much, what I think what they need to do, and what sounds like we're saying they should do, is possibly go more limited runs. Don't go fifty-two issues. Don't go extended runs. Go limited runs, eight-issue runs, four-issue runs, whatever. See what the intrigue is. See what the sales are. That way, you're not taking as big of a risk as saying, "Okay, we're going to give, for example, the user Poison Ivy a fifty-two issue run. We're just going to give her eight or four issues. See where they sell. If they sell good enough. Maybe we'll extend it more. Or hey, maybe instead of giving her or a certain character extended run after if they do a good with their miniseries, we'll just do another four to eight issue run, but do something else like Poison Ivy, whatever, you know, something different. Right. And not, maybe not connect it. And I think that what we're seeing now is DC, I think it needs to take a page out of what Marvel's doing with the cinematic universe where Marvel is pretty much taking a lot of risk with people like Dr. Strange and everything else. And they're throwing those people out there now they need to, I think, start doing that with some of their lesser-known characters. And and I think they need to get more behind them. They, I think the problem with some people like DC, and even with Marvel, you know, big publishers, is they rest too much on their main characters, on their big four or five. You know, with DC, it's the Justice League characters. Marvel will be the Avengers. And what happens is when you rely too heavily on those people, you start having certain spin-off series and stuff like that, which start to convolute and start to confuse people. And even then, it's kind of like, it's a lot for them to carry. You know what I'm saying? When you're not giving them other characters well, like, like Dr. Fate or whomever to come out and, and help out. I'm not even sure it's it's so much that is. You're giving us too much of one character or two characters. You're giving us too much of certain characters. Like, everybody loves Batman, but do we need, like, six Batman titles? Probably no. not. Do we need six Superman titles? No. I mean, I think that we need to kind of narrow our focus here, and I think that what they need to do is pick a core... Of pick a core of like six and then do spin-off series for everybody else, but make them limited. That's what I would do. Give give us a bunch of limited series, but then also give us some core runs that we can follow as well. Exactly. Our next story deals with kind of a spin-off thing, but not really. So Haley Atwell, of course, plays Peggy Carter on Agent Carter. Well, here's some intrigue. This is according to the Hollywood Reporter. She has been cast a star in a show called Conviction which is in first position to Agent Carter, meaning if Conviction is ordered to series, she'd have to balance both shows and her schedule if Agent Carter returns. And from what the Hollywood Reporter is noting, that's going to be a big 
if, and they're not sure that Agent Carr is going to get renewed. Well, here's the deal. The, the giant red flag already is, why would she even go for another part? Right! If Agent Carter was going to be back. Because think about it. Now, this doesn't mean Peggy Carter will go away completely. I'm sure that she'd be able to still do some stuff in the cinematic universe. But again, it's going to be very, very little. But why even audition? Because she had to audition for this, I'm sure. You don't just roll up to Haley Atwell right. as, as talented as she is and says, Hey, we want to give you a part in this if you're interested. No, she had to audition for this. She had to know it would be in conflict with Agent Carter. And How could you not know? Also, the showrunners, Michael Fazekas and Tara Butters, have a new pilot in the works of ABC as well right. with the death of Eva Sofia Valdez. Right. And so I'm like, okay, are they going – is ABC saying this show is not going to get renewed for a third season? Just have everybody start jumping ship and give everybody else different projects because I'm like, man, like, you know – It'd be one thing if you're doing piece by piece, but to have your star and your showrunners come out pretty much saying that they look like they have other jobs that they're yeah. going to be doing, that's a red flag. This is but, not good. I mean, if, if we start to see other actors and actresses on the show start right. to bail, I think you kind of know the writing on the wall, which is a shame because Agent Carter's actually improved in its second season, and I'm really enjoying what they're doing. And it's not just interesting, but it's fun. I think that they've done a fantastic job. Well, again, remember they, they, she's in a it's a second limited run, so it's eight episodes. Uh, I, I again, I don't think that really, honestly, to be fair to ABC, I don't think they really planned for Agent Carter to go as long as that's maybe been going. Maybe I think they probably only planned on uh, uh, maybe season one, or honestly, or maybe they only planned on you know two or three seasons. But here's the thing, and this is a sad thing about Agent Carter is if we don't get to the point where we see her create Shield and be a big part of that. That's going to be kind of disappointing. That's going to be right. very disappointing, actually. Right, and we talked about how we liked season one of Agent Carter, but we kind of wished that we would see going forward the formation of S.H.I.E.L.D. because that's kind of, I think, what every fan wanted to see. So if they don't get to that now, that was a huge risk to take early on for ABC to not go that route, at least by the end of the first season and into the second season, even though I have really enjoyed the second season. Exactly, and speaking of showrunners leaving shows... A showrunner that's joining a show is Brian Fuller. His next gig, he's going to be uh, going to the Star Trek franchise that, of course, kickstarted his writing career because he wrote for Deep Space Nine. He also did Voyager. He's going to be returning for the Star Trek show that's going to be on CBS. Yeah, and it's kind of a love letter for him. I mean, you could tell just by the tweet that he posted. This is something that he's very excited to be a part of again. And the fact, the fact that we are getting a new Star Trek series... Even though it is, you know, online, and we know that's going to happen, yeah, but it's still exciting, and it's going to be very interesting to see what kind of a story they decide to do, and here's the other question, Nick. With this being a basically online series, and I know that a lot more money has been pumped into these, thanks to Netflix and Hulu and and Amazon uh, Instant, how much of a budget are we really going to get for this series, especially when CBS spends so much money on shows like Supergirl and a lot of other shows on their main line? I can see this getting the same amount of funding, maybe a little bit more than a Daredevil or a Jessica Jones, something that's on Netflix. I can see that because, again, even though it's CBS and it's a major network, it's still on their all-access, which is a subscription-based thing. So I can see them giving him the budget of, like I said, a, a Daredevil or something like that. Uh, and we'll see. My thing is, I'm just trying to think of where he can go, what they can do with the show. You look at what a lot of Star Trek books are now, and they'll deal with a lot of the Academy. So I think maybe that I think they're probably going to end up doing like a Starfleet Academy show probably. Which would actually be fine. I mean, I know they kind of did that with the movies and the first movies and stuff like that. So, so I get that you could say, well, it's kind of been done. No, it hasn't because it followed Kirk well, and Spock in the Academy and they had to go through the whole Kobayashi Maru thing when they rebooted the franchise. So you could go that route again with other cadets. Well, remember, we're also living in an age now where a lot of places don't want their properties to clash like with a cinematic universe. So CBS, I would doubt, doesn't want to have a, a Captain Kirk show exactly. or, or, or even a Picard or anything like that or some totally new different captain or crew. They need to be like, okay, we can't have a conflict or anything like this. Because, you know, Voyager's been done. Deep Space Nine's been done. So there hasn't really been anything done with Starfleet Academy. 
So and six and it's been it's being successfully done by IDW right now in a comic series that's being run. So maybe it's going to be a little bit of a play off of the Academy series that from IDW that's going on right now. Exactly. So I mean, you know, that's what I would like to see. I like to see them be doing something different, even though it is an all access and subscription based thing, which I probably won't be doing. Um, you well, know, we'll be able to see the first one at least. Well, we'll be able to see the first one, but I think that it'd be interesting to see what they do going forward. With oh, this. absolutely. And speaking of going forward, something that's been kind of really sloppily been going forward for a while now has been the Sonic franchise because the games, not going to lie, haven't been that good at all. No. (laughs) A lot of of development issues, a lot of lag problems, storylines are terrible. I mean, for Christ's sake, you take Sonic, turn into a werewolf, or you have him make out with a chick at the end of a game. Yeah, kind of a, uh, yeah, kind of a different take on since the great days of Sonic 2 and 3 and Sonic and Knuckles and even the first one, for example. But now I want to get your opinion on this because we've both lived through the Super Mario days when the movie came out and you were, old, of course, older than I am, so you would have more of a feel on this, a take on this. Sonic the Hedgehog is coming to the big screen courtesy of Sega and Sony Pictures in 2018. Man, I don't know. And they're saying that it's going to be a mix of like live action and CG, which I don't see how it could not be. Honestly, I mean, I if they're going to do this like Who Framed Roger Rabbit style, it could kind of work. But can you? I mean, honestly, close your eyes for a second and picture a live action looking Sonic the Hedgehog just for a second. I'm I'm picturing, like, I'm just looking at, like, I'm also thinking of movies that have been the whole live action mixed with whatever. Yogi Bear, Elvin and the Chipmunks, um, not great ones, Scooby-Doo, not really all that great. Can I say how much I hate those Elvin and the Chipmunks movies? I'm sorry. Well, wait till your kid's old enough, you gotta take them to see them. As somebody who grew up with the Alvin and the Chipmunks animated series and stuff, I look at this and I go, come on. Even somebody who's really? like my, even somebody like myself who's grew up with the Sonic cartoon series. Yeah. I'm like, I love that. Of course, I was a kid and I loved pretty much everything that well, was put in front, in front of me, you know, in terms of television. But, I, you know, <laughs> um, this is very worrisome because, again, it's not like Sonic has had the best track record in terms of games. So them going to a movie and what's like this, sorry, but Super Mario Brothers kind of ruined the big name video game movies for a lot of people. So it's like Nintendo took that risk and they failed horribly. So now Sega's going to take that risk with Sonic. Like if you want to make a 3D movie, I'd be totally cool with that. Like all 3D, even make like a, like a peanuts kind of thing, whatever. 3D movie, like it's Kung Fu Panda or whatever, you want to make it that way, awesome. I will go see that. But to say, yeah, we're going to take an animated Sonic and Tails, stuff like that, but we're going to put them in like a New York City or some you know live action place and they're going to interact with humans outside of Robotnik, no! <laughs> it's just going to be very difficult. And of course, they were very cryptic in this interview with the World Folio that they were giving about this. Just saying it was going to be a live action animation hybrid. And people are still wondering about, hey, what happened to that animated movie that was announced in 2014? Is this now just what it's going to be? If we decide- And what makes you decide to go that route? And like you said, we've mentioned all of these projects that have made okay money, but haven't been very well received critically. What makes you think... You're going to be able to do it any differently and better with Sonic. With all due respect to Sonic, I don't see a movie here. Right. <laughs> you know, honestly, I just don't. And I, we've talked about video game movies before, but there's plenty of video games, especially now, with video games being so cinematic, you could easily make a movie out of like The Last of Us, like Tomb Raider and stuff right. like that. But I look at this and I go, uh, where's the movie? Right. And I look at, like, for example, I think the last good Sonic game was... Sonic Adventure 2, which was on the Dreamcast. And what was great about that was that you could be both good and bad. And even when you beat the game on both sides, there was a secret storyline. And it was a good story. But again, you know, you see what they're doing now, and it's like, God, I have no faith in this going forward. And I want to because I love Sonic. But you just look at what they've done with the games and everything else, and you're just like, and even with the show, you know, you're just like, um, the animated show is on now, that the 3D animated one. You're like, oh, no. Video game movies are hard enough, okay? Yeah. They're hard enough. 
without having to try and do something like this with Sonic. That's all yeah, I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to say, but that's going to do it for Nerd News this week. But come up next, we have our interview with Peter Hogan, who is, of course, the writer for King's Road. So stay tuned. That's coming next here on Down Nerdy. Hi, this is Bob Lee, Fantasy Escape, Comics Card, Gene Beach, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, fellow nerds, it's time that we took a trip over to Avalon because we're very excited about a new series that's out, maybe new-ish, from Peter Hogan. It's King's Road from Dark Horse. We just happen to have Peter on the line with us. Peter, how you doing? I'm good. I'm good. So, Peter, what I love most about this series, of course, the series being King's Road, now available from Dark Horse Comics, is that you lo- your love and respect for the fantasy genre itself. So what is it about the genre that you just love the most? Well, I guess I've always loved it. I mean, I, I loved Narnia when I was a kid and then discovered Tolkien and um, all of that. Um, and uh, it's just, I guess it's imagination, really. It's it's the, the sense of things being, the sense that, you know, magic might be possible, you know. Definitely. And actually, like a lot of other series from Dark Horse that have been very successful, your story actually started in Dark Horse Presents. So how, is it, how cool is it to be able to now tell far more of the story in this big supersized issue? Well, it's great. Uh, I mean, that was always the, um, uh, the plan, really. Um, but uh, it took quite a while to happen in, in this particular instance because... Uh, Phil Winslade, who was the original artist, wasn't able to continue, so then we had to find somebody else that could um, take over. So that, t- so it's, it's running a couple of years behind schedule, but I'm glad we've made it in the end. Well, yeah, and, and it's, it's, really, it's a really great book, Peter. I mean, it's 48 pages in total for the first issue, and it's just it's a great, just a great thing from top to bottom, page, front page to back page. Uh, and the thing is, too, is that it has some really interesting characters, especially ones that are very mysterious, especially the sorceress Malicia and her army. And all we really know about them is that they are creatures who were exiled at one point in time. So in what ways will that label of exiled and outcast play in both the main story and Malicia's background, which, again, to this point, is very mysterious? Yeah, I think, well, I think basically it's... Um it, it's kind of a bit of a colonization thing because um, the the nature of Avalon changed when people from our world started going there, and um, and so you know with probably with their own ideas of what's good and what's evil, and so you know a whole hunk of the population got thrown out. Um, as to who Malicia is, she's I don't want to give too much away, but I mean the only thing I will say is that she's not actually from the world of the exiles she went there and recruited an army so oh that's very interesting. interesting sounds like we're gonna get a little tease at that going forward <laughs> speaking of which and backgrounds <laughs> and things like that of course donald who is the prince and he's now in our world at least for the time being when he learns about what happened in his home world at first he seems very reluctant to take the crown actually wanting his sister to take it instead so will we learn more about his time in avalon and future issues and kind of what happened there yeah, a little bit. I mean, we're not going to have sort of massive flashbacks or anything, but, you know, yes, it will be talked about. Basically, he was the younger son. He never expected to be king. And so he's kind of built his own life and um, and is kind of, uh, you know, really annoyed that he, you know, that life has now been shot to pieces and he has to go off and do do the right thing, do his duty. Mm-hmm. Now, here's a question. I don't know if you ever get asked a lot, Peter. What would you rather have? Would you rather have a fell cat as a pet or a family member that's been transformed into a talking animal of your choosing? <laughs> yes, you're quite right. I don't get asked that one very often. Uh, I think I'd go for the family member as a talking animal. In fact, I can think of probably a couple of people I'd like to see. <laughs> <laughs> okay, who would it be and what would you turn them into? Oh... <laughs> no, no, I'm not going there. I get in too much trouble. Tell, okay, you want to say who? At least tell us what you change them into. What I change them into? Uh, yeah, maybe a badger. I've always been very fond of badgers. <laughs> wow, uh, <laughs> a badger. Kind of, a, kind of a shout out to Mike Barron there. But there you go. 
Wow, that is not what I expected at all. <laughs> We're talking to Peter Hogan, writer and co-creator of King's Road from Dark Horse Comics, which is available right now. Now, Peter, getting back to the story here for a minute. Uh, the first time we see Ashley, who's the daughter of the prince and the princess, she's practicing archery. And I kind of get that sense that she's going to be a very important player going forward. So how would you like to see her character evolve as the story goes? Well, I think she's basically, um, you know, she's a, she's a typical kind of suburban teenager, and the last thing she wanted to have uh, is, uh, you know, to be dragged off to uh, a world where, there, you know, as we shall discover, there isn't even electricity. So, you know, um, and she'd far rather stay with her friends and make plans for prom and stuff like that. So basically her whole life is just shot at this point. Uh, and so she's going to have kind of a hard job adapting to it, but it'll be interesting to see how she manages to do that. And speaking of which, I mean, how would you feel if you suddenly found out that you were royalty and it was from a distant land? Oh, I am royalty from a distant land. They <laughs> 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 haven't found me yet. You know. <laughs> well, they need to look harder then. Yeah, 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 that would be nice. I mean, there's Ancestry.com now and everything. we got to be able to find some sort of royalty connection, right? I mean, being over there across the pond, you've at least got a better chance than we do. Well, you know, I'm half Irish, and, uh, you know, pretty much everybody from Ireland thinks they're royalty. So. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I used to, I quickly, I used to live in the very Irish part of New York, and uh, it's, it's called Tipperary Hill. And I think you'll get a kick out of this. They actually, it's so Irish that the traffic light in there, the main traffic light, is upside down to represent the Irish flag. <laughs> I know what you were going to say. It's permanently green. <laughs> they just painted the entire place, you know, just to make everybody feel at home. <laughs> we're, talk, we're talking to Peter Hogan of King's Road from Dark Horse Comics, which is available right now. One more question I wanted to ask you, Peter, is that, you know, there's a lot of this... Uh, there's been a lot of stories told in, from the fantasy perspective and, of course, the royalty perspective. I mean, you got everything from Game of Thrones, like you mentioned, to Narnia. How hard is it to create, and you've done that very well in this story, how is it to create original themes and but still kind of keep in that fantasy realm? How hard is it to actually be original when you're writing in this kind of genre? Well, I think it was Terry Pratchett that, that um, made the comparison that fantasy was a bit like a stew, and you know people you know take different things out of the stew and then they put a few things back, but the stew is kind of like there for everybody to use. I think if I'm doing anything that's um, uh, unusual, you know, then maybe what I'm doing is is kind of rubbing it all up against the real world. So, you know, as you'll see over the next couple of issues, you know, it's like, um, it's not often some enchanted, uh, we will be going to Avalon at some point, but right now it's not all often some enchanted realm that's happening right here and right now, you know, in your local Mal. So, Peter, so it'll be interesting to see what people think of that. So, Peter, after King's Road is, is done and you're looking for a new project, what kind of, uh, or starters want to start a new project, what's a genre maybe you haven't explored yet that you would love to get into? Well, there's one that I'm sort of trying to get off the ground, uh, which is kind of a, a mix-up of science fiction and uh, spies. Oh, cool. Um, oh, nice. And hopefully I'm doing something that's like a little bit interesting, a little bit new with that. Um, but I've yet to find a home for that one. Before we wrap up, Peter, where can people find you on social media and the web? Uh, yeah, well, I'm kind of, well, I'm on Facebook, but I tend to sort of only friend people that I actually know. Oh, other than that, I'm. Uh, I suppose I should get like a professional Facebook page or something. I just haven't got around to doing it. Well, I mean, it's hard to tweet from Avalon anyway. So I mean, odds that they'd have a signal <laughs> yeah. there, you know. <laughs> well, we want to thank you so much for coming on and talk to us this week. Of course, once again, it's King's Road special, big, major, major, supersized issue out right now from Dark Horse Comics. You can get that at your local comic book shop, and of course digitally at your digital retailers. Peter Hogan, writer, co-creator, thank you so much for joining us this week. My pleasure. Well, James, next time we take a vacation to Avalon, make sure we don't take that right at the Forbidden Forest. Yeah, and I'm not going on the roller coaster. It's not happening. <laughs> oh, I like going on that roller coaster. Roller coaster is fun. 
Well, I mean, it, it was a really fun issue altogether. I mean, 48 pages, it's easy to kind of get lost in the shuffle of a story. And I know that they, they actually included some of the pieces that were in Dark Horse Presents. So it's really easy to make it feel broken up, but it really wasn't. It just felt like a float. And I know that some people I, I, I talked to that have also read this series didn't even know about it being in Dark Horse Presents. They didn't know it was broken up at all. So that's that's good for them being able to put it together. Not just that, but also, you know, Peter's pacing is so great because yeah. from the first two pages, immediately there's a giant attack. I'm not going to tell you what it involves, but when I opened up the pages, I'm like, oh my God, like this is, like, I didn't expect this at all. You know, right. like, and it's right off the jump. I mean, you're, you've got action right from the get go, which I thought was a really cool choice. And what I also liked was the family dynamic that he puts together here. I mean, it, it was, it's really difficult to be able to do this in a different way, but I liked the way he broke up the family dynamic. I thought that was a really big pushing point in this issue. Exactly, man. I mean, again, this is a great book. You have to go out and get it. It's called King's Road. Go get it. It's out, of course, available digitally and available in your local comic book shop. And that's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks for Peter Hogan for coming on and talking to us about his new series called King's Road from Dark Horse Hot Comics. Go out to your local comic book shop or get it online digitally. It's a great 48 pages of action and great art and great writing all around, especially if you're a big fantasy fan. You have to you have to read this book. But, hey, if you where you can hit us up on social media and you're wondering where you can get more of us, well, we're on Facebook, facebook.com slash down nerdy. We're also on Twitter at down nerdy 757. I'm at Merck with one arm, James Witham. I'm at James Ace with him. By the way, that's W-I-T-H-A-M, in case you're wondering. We're also all over the web as well, downandnerdypodcast.com. You can read our other reviews, what else we're reading on the on the website. Nick and I pick one more comic each each week and review something that we didn't review on the show. So you can go check that out. Get all the information on each week's show. And let me tell you, we've got our 100th episode coming up next week. You are going to need that website so bad to see everything we've got going on in our 100th episode. Are we going to tell you? No, we're not going to tell you. We're going to let you figure it out once we get to our 100th episode next week. So follow us, downandnerdypodcast.com. For sure, you're going to want to go there. Exactly, and that's going to do it for us here at the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I leave you with these words, as I do every week. Pray safe comic book reading. Always bag and board your comics.